2: Again to the Explaining History podcast. Now, um, as you'll know, in, in the last couple of months, <clears throat> I've been looking um, at the the wider context of the Suez Crisis um, and trying to fathom British and French motivations. Um, and trying to kind of explore really why it is Eden and, and in Britain and Mollet in France took the risks that they did. Um, Of course, there's a a great deal of um, a kind of uh, imperial hubris here and the misunderstanding of the relative significance of both Britain and France uh, and or the declining significance of both Britain and France, particularly within the context of the Cold War. But also, one has to bear in mind um, that Britain had other interests um, throughout the region the great uh, brilliant book, and I'll be going to this um, uh, in uh, much greater depth um, another time, is uh, Lords of the Desert by James Barr, which paints a kind of a much deeper contextual picture of Britain's post-war involvement in the Middle East. But today uh, I'm looking at Fight or Flight by Martin Thomas, as we, we've looked at this book many a time before, and um, the question about Molay and um, uh, Eden's judgment is really skillfully explored. Um, and he begins by discussing uh, Sudan um, and the development of Sudanese nationalism. Martin Thomas writes, Here was another imperial interest that in British eyes faced a Nasserite threat. The key dynamics in this vast territory, technically a condominium or joint protectorate of Britain and Egypt, were the permissible extent of Egyptian influence and the countervailing wisdom of Sudanisation, by which was meant the progressive indigenisation of administrative services. Over preceding decades, the British, as Heather Sharkey puts it, unwittingly gave nationalism an institutional framework, because of their operating principle that a colony should pay its way. The frugality that this imposed made reliance on locally educated and trained Sudanese government servants inevitable. Most of these Sudanese officials were northerners and graduates of Khartoum's Gordon College Secondary School. This all-male administrative elite became the local officials known as the mammers and the sub who were charged with policing and tax collections tasks in tandem with the assistant district commissioners of Britain's Sudan political service. So Sudanisation was part of a a kind of a long process that the British had imposed on their colonies um, that dated back almost to the time of Austin Chamberlain. Of ensuring that the um, the empire sort of operated a balanced budget, that the Brit- that uh, colonies didn't become money pits for Great Britain, and that they could be self funding. So self funding was really a kind of a, a, a code for um, a, the kind of uh, imperial austerity, really, a an imperial program of um, progressively kind of paring back budgets and reducing the amount that Britain spent on its colonies, believing that it, the, the colonies weren't owed anything by, uh, by Great Britain, by the, the metropole. And so by allowing a uh, locally sourced solutions to this problem, and that meant mainly relying on a cheap administrative staff, In Sudan, of um, uh, Sudanese nationals, that the infrastructure of Sudan was going to be run predominantly by Sudanese people in the interests of, of, of Sudan, and this could only ever have resulted in the development of kind of nationalist sentiments. Um, the idea that well we sort of virtually are running this country anyway, um, irrespective and the, you know the you, you, irrespective of of the British, or in spite of the British, uh, and therefore a shift towards an independent Sudan is um, more and more likely, and this was prime territory to for uh, Nasser in Egypt, the great enemy of Eden, to exploit. Sudanization, accelerated further in the decade 1945 to 55, writes Martin Thomas, making an orderly flight seem predictable, logical and only a matter of time. This view is expressed by the Sudanese Graduate Congress, educated future officials who, in 1942, demanded self-government after the war. Increasingly, talk of self-rule did not imply an end to British interventionism, however. The controversial practice of female genital mutilation was a case in point. Spurred Spurred by criticism from British women's groups, colonial opposition to the practice, or female genital cutting, culminated in a February 1946 law banning the practice. Was this progress, or an attack on customary tradition? Surely it was both. But this late colonial campaign against female circumcision was, if anything, driven by economic concerns. Officials and medical staff concurred that infibulation led to poor maternity outcomes. Eliminating the practice was intended to spur population growth and foster women's mothering skills. Sudan's British rulers, it seems, were still convinced that they knew best. Um, and there's obviously a very very good argument to suggest that in this case, uh, that, that they did, uh, and that, um, but this was motivated often by imperial concerns. The British had uh, co-administered Sudan uh, with Egypt since the 1880s. However, the British also um, suggested their reasons for uh, dominating Sudan were to prevent it being solely controlled by Egypt. Um, However, this justification rather falls apart in the early 1950s when, uh, from 1953 onwards, um, the uh, Egyptian government um, gave its uh, raison d'etre in Sudan as being the protection of uh, and the fostering of Sudanese independence. Conservative ministers and foreign office diplomats, writes Martin Thomas, meanwhile hoped that their accommodating attitude towards Sudan would be reciprocated by Egypt's new leadership in more important discussions over the long-term future of the Suez Canal zone. Redolent of the high imperialism of the Victorian era, trade and military prerogatives triumphed over concerns for Sudanese internal stability. The British were concerned that if they were forced from the Middle East, then uh, Egypt, Sudan, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, uh, and other, um, up until that point, predominantly British client states would fall into a Soviet sphere of influence. Um, many um, Arab nationalists. Liked to um, keep uh, faith with the British or to curry favour with the British by suggesting this. Um, the um, Cold War, the combination of imperial anxieties and Cold War rhetoric, made the British quite ready to act in the uh, in, in in the Middle Eastern theatre. Nasser himself looked to court um, the Soviet Union. Um, the uh, decision by the uh, Americans to cancel funding for the Aswan High Dam um, was a a gift to the the Soviet Union. And from 1958, it was um, the Soviet Union that backed the project uh, to its completion um, by themselves, um, great influence in Egypt and uh, Egypt's ally, Syria. The Aswan Dam uh, affair um, cemented um, in the eyes of uh, the British uh, the fact that uh, it was all too possible for um, the uh, for Egypt to fall fully into the Soviet camp and for the Suez Canal to wind up essentially being uh, controlled by the Soviet Union, thus pinching off supplies of oil to Europe in the event of conflict with the USSR. Um, uh, the the very idea um, of a of a um, a Suez c- controlled by the Soviet Union or controlled by Russia, more to the point, uh, was an anathema to foreign policy mandarins whose education, perhaps in the nineteen twenties and thirties, was informed by the his- histories of the Great Game in, in the nineteenth century. Um, and the idea that the uh, Soviet Union would be able to dictate terms between Britain and Britain's uh, connections in Asia, which, even though Britain's Asian empire at this point was largely gone, was still considerable, was once again, an anathema. There was, writes Martin Thomas, a significant amount of Cold War rhetoric in high-level discussions of Britain's Middle East prospects. Um, Typically, in this regard, was a Foreign Office paper, Communism in Africa. It was circulated to ministers in mid-1956. The Soviets, Foreign Secretary Selwyn Lloyd averred, were fast acquiring a deeper knowledge of African affairs, and they used arms sales, cultural exchanges, and front organisations such as the World Federation of Trade Organisations to enhance their influence over nationalist groups, pointing to a raft of new African studies Um, uh, African Studies um, Academies in Moscow, Lloyd was unequivocal. When suddenly the history, economics, languages and social relations of Africa are stepped up by political directive to the point where the work now being done on Africa compares to that done uh, in Southeast Asia. It is clear that this is for operational reasons Rather than academic, uh, rather than an academic's love of science, the um, um, the the global history of uh, Maoism, written by Julia Lovell, is Maoism and in International History, um, tells a slightly different story. Um, it, Africa in the nineteen fifties and sixties, particularly, wasn't a, uh, a playground for Soviet influence, but it certainly was um, a playground for Chinese influence. Um, Tanzania, Zambia, Zimbabwe, uh, or Rhodesia as it would have been at, at, at the time.
1: Here's a cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month, or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig.
2: huge sums of money, sent military advisers, trained guerrilla armies, and uh, uh, built uh, huge amounts of infrastructure. Um, And this was largely because of Mao's view that Africa was one of the next front lines in the struggle against global imperialism. And uh, there was a a, a ready exchange of uh, African uh, students and uh, guerrilla fighters to China, as there were instructors coming in the other direction. So, whilst there was some Soviet influence in Africa, they were outcompeted and outclassed by their rivals in the communist world, uh, Maoist China. So something happens in the um, the Western view of the Nasser regime that you can see again and again in. Um, uh, Discourses about third world nationalism in the 1950s, um, figures such as Sukarno in Indonesia, are recast in Western eyes as communists, just as Nasser appeared for a period of time in the eyes of the Eden government as a communist. Not that he was, of course. Um, The desire to nationalise the canal... um, and the um, opposition to colonialism, and even Nasser's pan-Arabism, which had nothing to do with communism particularly, was seen as some sort of Moscow conspiracy. Um, But the things that um, Britain, France, and also America, who um, was not as as hostile to the overthrow of Nasser uh, as subsequent events might suggest... These were uh, governments that were um, quite happy to um, conflate uh, third world nationalism with Soviet communism, even though in many instances um, countries that had rid themselves of British, French, Belgian or, or Dutch influence, or Portuguese or what have you, looked at the prospect of Soviet friendship with extreme trepidation, being, uh, not being naive about that one at all. Admittedly, writes like Martin Thomas, the Cairo government courted international backing for the course of Arab independence and the right of return of Palestinian refugees expelled from their homeland in the Arab-Israeli War of 1948. Integral to this process was the procuring arms from the Eastern Bloc uh, and cultivating ties with socialist re- regimes in the non-ali- non-aligned, non-aligned movement, your pardon, um, Tito's Yugoslavia especially. The one thing that Britain, France and the US agreed upon in early 1956 was that the Egyptian leadership was becoming more vigorously anti-imperialist as it grew militarily stronger. Anglo-American efforts to broker an Egyptian-Israeli settlement, sweetened by the offer of financial assistance, the construction of um, of Egypt's Aswan Dam proved fruitless. The the, the scheme, known as Project Alpha, also looked increasingly naive. By contrast, French investment in military cooperation with Israel, previously vilified as avariciously uh, realpolitik, began to look shrewder. When Jordan's King Hussein, previously considered a reliably Anglophile, dismissed uh, his uh, chief general of the uh, Arab Arab-lesian, uh, uh, Arablesian Pasha Glub. On the 1st of March 1956, Downing Street and the Foreign Office mistakenly attributed the sacking to Nasser's malign influence. The ousted general became an oracle for hardliners in Westminster and Whitehall. Eden rehearsed Glubb's dire predictions in correspondence with Eisenhower in the months ahead. In late July, he told the American president that Nasser... Was active wherever Muslims can be found. He was no Hitler, but the parallel with Mussolini, another Mediterranean empire builder, was, cl- was close. Of course, there were was very little similarities between Mussolini and, and Nasser at all. On the night of the 27th of July, after news reached London of the Suez nationalisation, the Prime Minister summoned the French ambassador Jean Chauvel, telling him that France, like Britain, faced an acid test of Western solidarity. So here you have the uh, the problem faced by two declining imperial powers of resurgent uh, Arab nationalism. And um, Arab nationalism are of a, a, a kind of a well-motivated and assertive variety um, that had a charismatic and appealing figurehead in the guise of Nasser Um and that uh, sought to create a union of uh, Arab states. Um, And the um, previous attempts to uh, dampen, in a way, Arab nationalism by investing in Egypt by uh, funding things like, for example, the Asman Dam, had been something of a waste of time. Because ultimately it was impossible to make a regime that had been born uh, as a result of a general's coup and then a, a, a nationalist um, seizure of power. It was impossible to um, uh, reconcile that with the wants of uh, British imperialism. The, the hope, of course, amongst Britain's ruling classes was that um, the, Nasser, a new military strongman, had uh, come to power and would be, you know, a a good chap, uh, and uh, understand that British commercial needs would always come first. But as you, uh, as you see in so many figures of the the 1950s and 60s, from NASA to Patrice Lumumba in uh, the Congo. Um, to uh, Doctor Mohammad Mossadegh in uh, in Iran, the nationalist contention that the resources, the raw materials, and the infrastructure of a country belonged primarily to its people and were not there to make foreign shareholders terrifically wealthy, is an an irreconcilable. Um, irreconcilable challenge this is why Lumumba was uh, removed uh, and murdered why Mossadegh was overthrown and why the uh, British and the French threw everything they had in trying to remove Nasser and of course uh, ironically it it is America uh, that pulls the rug out from underneath Great Britain um, by um, threatening to um, destroy the value of the pound among other things um, this is not because um, Eisenhower had any great love for Nasser, of course he didn't, he disliked him and would have been happy to see him overthrown as um, uh, Mossadegh had been overthrown but it was because the British had gone about it without the consent of Washington um, and that, Washington, that uh, Eisen that America viewed Britain as a chief commercial rival within the middle east itself um, and vied um, with the British for influence uh, and didn't want the uh, the British to be able to become the sole um, influential sole dominant power in egypt um Martin Thomas writes, in early September, Eden took his doom-laden analogies a step further. Uh, Egyptian seizure of the canal was the opening gambit in a planned campaign to expel all Western influence and interests from Arab countries. If successful, NASA's pan-Arabist ideology would ferment revolution throughout North East Africa and Western Asia. Once Operation Musketeer, this was the... Um, uh, the Anglo-French-Israeli uh, attack on Egypt, began, uh, Eden distilled his earlier musings into three self-justificatory sentences. If we had allowed things to drift, everything would have gone from bad to worse. Nasser would have become a kind of Muslim uh, Mussolini, and our friends in Iraq, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and even Iran would gradually have been brought down. His efforts would have spread westwards and Libya and all of North Africa would have been brought under his control. Possibly. Um, And it's not to say that Nasser didn't think of these things, because I think he certainly did, and saw himself as um, a a, a nationalist figure um, to defy um, Western and European powers in the way that perhaps Kemal Ataturk had managed to do in the early 1920s, um, and certainly he is immensely successful in, in, in doing so, and creates for Britain the the great crisis uh, of the, um, the 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 Brit- uh, of Britain's world position and world role after the um, in the decades after the Second World War. So. What we'll do next time is when we focus on this, is look at the the actual events of the Suez Crisis and how it is that um, the uh, Eisenhower regime um, steps in to um, put Britain in its post imperial place and the risks that are incurred are of possibly uh, a third world war. Uh, it's one of the, the moments post war. Um, like the Cuban Missile Crisis, where uh, the world comes closest to uh, nuclear conflict. And then we'll move on to examine France's uh, decline uh, and bloody exit from Algeria. Anyway, I hope you found this useful, guys. Um, Check out the um, Explaining History Patreon. There'll be some new uh, essays going up there pretty soon. Um, and um, also, bear in mind, there was uh, an idea I've been toying with recently um, about the possibility of creating a more, ta- a more focused podcast or perhaps even a, a video channel uh, to teach uh, something that would be roughly the equivalent of an undergraduate degree, uh, but of course without any of the, the certification uh, that comes with it. And it's a way really of, of trying to reach out to people who will never have uh, the finances or the um, opportunity to have a university education and trying to bring uh, those guys and everybody else who ever wants to participate um, a really valuable learning experience so I'd be interested to know your views if it's something you'd support or'll be interested in uh, let me know you can catch me at Nick underscore at hotmail.com or you can find there are various ways to message me via the website www.explaininghistory.org. Thanks very much, everybody. Take good care. Bye bye.
1: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.